Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa, by Stuart Weir, and this week by Osasu Obaiwana, who takes a hard-hitting look at the state of African football. Osasu highlights the alarming state of CAF's finances and gives us his strong views that CAF President Patrice Motsepe is too closely aligned to FIFA President Gianni Infantino and that Infantino is calling the shots in African football. I think that the future of African football should be decided by Africans without the interference of people from out of Africa. More on that later, plus we catch up on the continental competitions. We also look at Victor Osimhen's amazing season in Italy. And we have Stuart on the English Premier League and the UEFA Champions League with that thrilling 1-1 draw between Real Madrid and Manchester City. But let's start at the Under-17 Africa Cup of Nations in Algeria with the hosts knocked out by Morocco who won their quarter-final 3-0. Uh, Senegal also impressing there. They were 5-0 winners over South Africa in the quarter-finals. Uh, defending champions Cameroon went out at the group stage and the final is on Friday of next week. Uh, the CAF Champions League is at the semi-final stage. The first legs are on this weekend. Esperance of Tunisia playing al Ahly of Egypt and the defending champions Widat Casablanca up against the very impressive Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa. And earlier this week, we had the first legs of the semi-finals of the CAF Confederation Cup. Yanga of Tanzania beating Marumo Gallants of South Africa 2-0. And Asik Mimosas of Cote d'Ivoire drawing 0-0 with USM Algier in their semi-final. The second legs are on next Wednesday. Uh, also getting closer, the Under-20 FIFA World Cup. It starts next weekend. We'll look ahead to the finals on next week's show. Well, it's been an amazing season for Nigeria forward Victor Osimen, helping Napoli to a first Italian title in 33 years. They became Serie A champions with five games to spare. Osimen is the top scorer in Italy. He's a big contender for the African Footballer of the Year award, no doubt. And he could be signed by one of the top English Premier League teams next season. Uh, what a time Osimen is having, Ida. What a time indeed, Steve. Victor Osimhen. From growing up, struggling to make ends meet, he had to sell newspapers to make some money, to now having his murals in Napoli, his shirts selling out in record time. This is the same player who was struggling for game time in Germany a mere five years ago. He was struggling for goals as well. Look at him now, so deserving, I think, and it does show just how quickly things can change. And for Osimhen to score that goal at Udinese that ended a generation's frustration, Steve, it was simply incredible. It was his 22nd goal in 28 league appearances and 47th in the Italian Serie A. Now, with that, he became the leading African scorer in the Serie A, surpassing George Ware on 46. The last time Osimhen was discussed on the show, Steve, you had solace on, and I remember the conversation on Osimhen's versatility as a striker, you know, that ability to score such a wide range of goals with either foot, 
We're talking headers, tap-ins, long-range, you name it. And we've just seen it more and more. Add to that that he also has assists, meaning that he's more than just a goal scorer. And Steve, he's more than just a footballer. He's a symbol of unity in a country whose league has been so anti-black for such a long time. The Italian Serie A, Steve, without a doubt, is one of the most racist leagues in Europe. And to see all that, albeit momentarily, but to see it put to the side and the locals not only accepting Osman, but celebrating him, embracing him, well, it's simply amazing. He's breaking some barriers that he might not even have intended to, you know. And I hope he savors it. It's so easy to get caught up in what's next. But what he's done, it's truly extraordinary. And consistency is the name of the game now. And at 24, Steve, hopefully he paces himself, you know. And he's able to stretch out this fantastic form over a long time. I mean, we've seen even the likes of Kylian Mbappe, who, by the way, is a similar age to Osman. I believe they're about nine, eight days apart. And we've seen the likes of Mbappe holding out from some really big moves for a reason. Steve, Napoli is a city that definitely knows how to exalt its heroes. I mean, we've seen what it did with the likes of Maradona. And we can see the beginnings of that with Osman. I mean, we've talked about the murals. There was a song even <laughs> made about the Nigerian that went viral in February. And the people of Naples, well, they'll be hoping that Osman stays. And they do hope that he can resist the allure of the Premier League for a little while longer. Well, Napoli boss Aurelio De Laurentiis, well, he maintains that the Nigerian international, well, he will be staying at the club this summer. But look, with potential bids of $150 million from the likes of Manchester United, well, it might be an unrealistic possibility. Yes, indeed. It's going to be fascinating to see where Victor Osimen will be playing next season. Now, this Sunday, it's Mother's Day in many countries around the world, as mums are treated, honoured and recognised by their children. Uh, in Spain, though, it was Mother's Day last Sunday, and Nigeria forward Rashidat Ajibade and her mum had a day to remember, as her club Atletico Madrid flew her mother to Spain for Mother's Day uh, to give her a memorable surprise. It was indeed a wonderful time for the two of them, and Ajibade managed to score a goal in front of her mum, Ida. It was so moving, Steve, even for many of us, I have to admit. <laughs> Ajibade dedicated the goal to her mum, and her mum said that it was her first time in Spain. The 23-year-old thought that she was called into work that day for media interviews, only to have the surprise of her life. Ajibade joined Atletico in 2021 from a club in Norway, and she then played a key role for Nigeria at the Aachen and is now headed for the FIFA Women's World Cup. All the best to her, and I also want to take this opportunity to wish all mothers listening in a happy Mother's Day. Yes, absolutely, especially if it is Mother's Day in your country uh, this Sunday. Thanks so much, Ida. 
So here at Planet Sport Football Africa, this month we're celebrating turning 10 years uh, as a show. We started out in May 2013 and we've covered numerous stories in African football. We've been to many tournaments and we've spoken to many big names on the continent. And we've appreciated your support, whether you joined us from our early days or if you're a new listener to the show indeed. Well, this month we're reflecting on aspects of the African game over the past 10 years and giving you some of our highlights. And this week we're taking a look at the administrative side, the politics and finances of African football over the past 10 years, and whether the Confederation of African Football is too closely aligned now with the FIFA president Gianni Infantino. Well, the next five to ten years are crucial in the sense that um, we need to make sure that uh, football becomes truly global. We are all saying football is global, but uh, if you scratch a little bit the surface, you can see that at least top football is very much concentrated uh, in, in, in maybe in just a few clubs in a few countries, uh, and we need to globalize that much more. Well, that's Gianni Infantino on his vision for world football, saying that it should become more of a global game. Well, I'm joined by Osasu Obaiwana in Lagos in Nigeria. Osasu is a highly respected African football journalist. He worked on the BBC African football website for many years and on BBC World Service Radio. And he's known as a fearless critic of African football with many key contacts. Uh, welcome to the show, Osasu. Hello, Steve, and congratulations on your 10th anniversary. Thanks so much, and what an introduction with all of your depth of knowledge. And uh, it's been an interesting period at CAF over the past 10 years, as uh, Issa Hayatu's 29-year reign as CAF president ended in 2017, uh, with Ahmed from Madagascar taking over and leaving in 2021 amid a financial scandal, with South Africa's Patrice Motsepe taking over. Um, there's a feeling that while Motsepe has brought some stability, that he's too closely aligned to the FIFA president Gianni Infantino, uh, something that you've uh, spoken out about, Osasu. Well, um, the question would be what stability has Motsepe actually brought? Because uh, as we speak now, we have a situation in CAF where CAF no longer have a, a marketing contract. I mean, they had a, a marketing contract which was to last from 2016 to 2028. That contract was, uh, I would say, stupidly terminated by Mr. Ahmad and his executive committee late in 2019. It was terminated against the terms of the agreement which were signed with Lagardère. As a consequence of that termination, Lagardère uh, instituted legal proceedings against CAF. And just before the start of the World Cup in Qatar, they agreed on a $50 million settlement. Um, CAF have never had to pay this level of damages since it started as an organization in 1957. Now, let me put the figures which are being paid into perspective. $50 million could pay um, the annual subventions to about 50 out of 53 national associations in Africa for the next four years. You can imagine how catastrophic this payment is. Financially, 
They haven't really explained how they are paying for it. Don't uh, forget, in case you have forgotten, or perhaps you're not even aware, that uh, CAF are operating without a proper budget at the moment, because for the 2021-22 financial year, there is no audited accounts yet. CAF normally have a financial year running from the 1st of July to the 30th of June. So the last financial statement for CAF should have been prepared before the 30th of June 2022. So if you count from the 1st of July last year till now, we're almost going to 11 months without CAF having its audited accounts ready. And guess what? We are about to come to the end of yet another financial year, the 2022-23 financial year, in about um, seven weeks' time. So this is just to put in context how serious the situation is. And do know that for the 2020-21 financial year, CAF declared a deficit of $45 million. That's minus $45 million. So if you have a deficit for the 2020-21 financial year of minus $45 million, you are yet to have audited accounts for the 21-22 financial year, which are already 11 months late. How on earth do you run an organization with such shambolic finances? The sad thing about it, Steve, is that very few football journalists in Africa read balance sheets or pay attention to accounts. So a lot of these things are going unnoticed, but we have a financial time bomb ticking here. So it's a serious situation, and at the heart of this uh, was that decision, as you say, under Ahmed to terminate that uh, deal with Lagardère. And the thought or the feeling was that there could be more money got by signing a new deal from somewhere else, we think probably China, wasn't it? That's correct. But you see, you, don't, you, know, you know the old saying that a bird in the hand is worth not just two in the bush, but 20. So if you're going to terminate a deal in which a sponsor is guaranteeing you a billion dollars for 12 years, you better be damn sure that whoever is replacing them has a concrete deal on the table that will immediately take over whatever deal you're terminating. But CAF never did that. They terminated the deal which was rock solid, when they had nothing in hand. And now the consequences of that are very clear because CAF are now looking for a new uh, marketing partner at the moment. Why do those who are responsible for the governance of football in Africa have to put CAF in this crazy, impossible and miserable position? It's, it's, It's quite sad, I have to say. 
Yes, a cause for concern would uh, be an understatement. Uh, speaking to highly esteemed African football journalist Osasu Obaiwana in Lagos in Nigeria, uh, one thing you've also uh, spoken out about a lot, Osasu, is uh, CAF and uh, FIFA president Gianni Infantino. Um, closely aligned, uh, to say the least, maybe, is a CAF now uh, with the uh, FIFA president. Some would even say that uh, CAF has sold out to uh, Infantino. Well, I think uh, that is not uh, an exaggeration. Mr. Infantino played a critical role in the ascension of Mr. Mokeke Power. He was involved in all the negotiations. Uh, without his involvement, there was no way Mokeke was going to be president. And this is something I find rather sad because I think that the future of African football should be decided by Africans without the interference of people from out of Africa. Once you have people out of Africa involving themselves in the political affairs of African football in order to further and protect their own interests, which have nothing to do with Africa's own interests, of course Africa will suffer. And we are seeing the consequences of that now. And uh, we're talking here of, uh, well, a whole number of things, uh, including the uh, CAF uh, Super League, which uh, seems to be a real pet uh, project of uh, Gianni Infantino. It is a a project of Infantino because he knows that he was going ahead with this project years before Mr. Mosquepe became president. But, I mean, I have done a deep dive into the African Super League. There are no sponsors for the African Super League. There has been no proper consultation with the big clubs in Africa as to how you will have a Super League work alongside the Champions League and the Confederations Cup. Personally, my opinion is that the Champions League and the Confederation Cup should be strengthened. They should be made more commercially viable. Yeah, so many serious concerns. Um, just finally, Osasu, though, um, to be fair, uh, we weren't that happy with Issa Hayatu, were we? Especially in the final years of his uh, 29-year reign up to 2017. Uh, it's true. Uh, I was a very big critic of the autocratic ways of Issa Hayatu. But even while I criticised him for those things, you also have to acknowledge that he did some things to improve the state of African football. No matter what we say about his autocratic ways, and there were many, we cannot fault him for improving the finances of African football, which also helped him to take independent decisions concerning the future of the game in Africa. Uh, one has to also be to Issa Hayatu that when it came to protecting the interests of Africa at the FIFA level, he fought for Africa very gallantly and strongly. We are not seeing this independence of thought and independence of action from the CAF presidents that have taken over since Issa Hayatu left in March 2017. And that is injurious to the future of CAF understanding of African football in global football matters. 
We're speaking there to renowned African football journalist Osasu Obaiwana in Lagos in Nigeria. Osasu is a highly respected figure. He worked on the BBC African football website for many years and on BBC World Service Radio 2. And he's known as a fearless critic of African football. So our time was a bit too short there, really. So many issues to talk about, including uh, how FIFA president Gianni Infantino was pushing for the Africa Cup of Nations to be held every four years instead of every two years a couple of years back. Uh, There's a feeling, of course, that the AFCON should be held every two years for the development of the African game. This week on social media, asking for your thoughts uh, on this. Uh, Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of African football? We heard there from Osasu about the alarming state of CAF's finances. Osasu also gave us his views that the CAF president, Patrice Motsepe, is too closely aligned to the FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, and that Infantino is calling the shots in African football something that would not have happened in the days of former CAF president Issa Hayatu. So asking with uh, these and other issues as we look back on the past 10 years and look ahead, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of African football? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus 447955232780. That's plus 447955232780. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of African football? Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa, and our website is planetsport.tv. Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And uh, what a first leg of the Champions League semi-final between Real Madrid and Man City, Stuart. Uh, all square after the first leg. Well, Manchester City's chances of winning the Champions League for the first time are alive and well after that 1-1 draw with Real Madrid away in Madrid. City controlled the game in the first half, but then conceded to a brilliant strike by Vinicius Jr., City were behind for half an hour, but then they were rescued by an equally magnificent strike from outside the penalty area by Kevin De Bruyne. That goal, incidentally, resulted in a yellow card for the Real Madrid manager, Carlo Ancelotti, who insisted that the ball had gone out of play in the build-up to the goal. But that is not something which VAR checks. So Ancelotti may have been right, but as far as VAR is concerned... There was no reason to disallow it. It's not been a great season for Real Madrid. They are, of course, the holders of the Champions League, having beaten Liverpool in last year's final. But they're currently third in La Liga, 14 points behind Barcelona, and they've lost two of their last three games. So you could say a good time to be playing them. And City, of course, are chasing the English treble. Now, Steve, one thing which pleased me about the game is that City used only 11 players, no substitutes. And Real Madrid 
used three subs, but not until the 81st, 84th and 87th minute. I did enjoy an old-fashioned game of football, 11 against 11. Uh, yes, uh, sure, that's how it used to be. And uh, Man City in the English Premier League, away to Everton on Sunday, Arsenal in second, at home to Brighton, and uh, the finish line getting ever closer, Stuart. Well, City still look on course to be Premier League champions. Well, Arsenal pulled off an excellent win at third place Newcastle United last weekend, Manchester City struggled to a 2-1 win over Leeds, but it's the points that matter. Leeds, of course, under new manager Sam Allardyce. One thing which did amuse me in the reaction to Arsenal's win at Newcastle was the Magpies manager Eddie Howe complaining about Arsenal time-wasting. Well, given that Newcastle themselves are the world champions at delaying taking throw-ins, kicking the ball away, committing fouls to break up the play, anything to delay the game, I thought that was a bit rich. With Manchester City leading Leeds United 2-0, and Gundogan having scored both goals, City were awarded a penalty. Now, the normal penalty taker, Erling Haaland, gave the ball to Gundogan so that he could complete his hat-trick. But his shot hit the post. And then when Leeds scored with five minutes to go, it was a nervous last few minutes for City. And Pep Guardiola was clearly not amused. He was seen shouting at Haaland, ''You take the penalties!'' And incidentally, Gundogan does have previous. The last time he took and missed a penalty was also in a game where he'd already scored two goals and was chasing the hat-trick. And as you say, interesting games for both the top two this weekend. Now, the final two Champions League places has suddenly become interesting and a lot tighter. A month ago, you'd have said that Newcastle and Manchester United were just... uh, I shoo in uh, to get it. But they both hit a little bit of a difficult period. Um, Newcastle losing two of their last five and Manchester United losing two in a row away to West Ham and Brighton. And at the same time, Liverpool have won six in a row. Suddenly, Liverpool are just one point behind Manchester United, three behind Newcastle, and uh, Liverpool are away to Leicester this weekend. But... Going back to that issue of time-wasting, it's not just my opinion. In a recent Arsenal-Southampton game, the Southampton goalkeeper Gavin Bazuna took 18 goal kicks and it took him 13 minutes to do so. Just, just think about that. A football match is 90 minutes plus stoppage time. And that was one-seventh of the game was taken up with Bazuna taking his goal kicks. And while a football match lasts 90 minutes plus stoppage time, statistics show that this season the ball has only been in play for 54 minutes 45 seconds. Now, we don't want games going back to the World Cup with 10 and 12 added minutes, but something has to be done. And I think if referees simply applied the laws of the game and gave goalkeepers yellow cards for time-wasting, including a second yellow card if necessary for repeat offenders, well, I think time-wasting would suddenly stop. Yeah, and uh, lots happening uh, elsewhere in the Premier League, especially at the bottom of the table, Stuart. Well, last Monday was another of those extraordinary days we seem to be having this season, and potentially very significant to the bottom of the table. There were three games on Monday, and 21 goals were scored. Brighton, with an outside chance of a Champions League place, were at home to Everton, 
a club fighting relegation. Everton scored in the first minute, were 3-0 up at half-time and won the game 5-1. A week ago, Brighton were beating Wolves 6-0. Now they're losing to Everton 5-1. Nottingham Forest beat Southampton 4-3 with their Nigerian striker Awani scoring the first two goals in 20 minutes. And in the other game, Fulham beat Leicester City 5-3, which all leaves Leicester, Leeds and Southampton in the relegation places, with Nottingham Forest and Everton a step nearer to safety. Incidentally, when he scored his second goal, Awani pulled up his match shirt to reveal a T-shirt on which he had a Bible verse. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. So there's a footballer not afraid to share his Christian faith with others. Tottenham beat Crystal Palace 1-0 with Harry Kane scoring his 209th Premier League goal. There's just no stopping him. And Steve, I'm sure you wanted to know that he's the first person since Andy Cole to have scored home and away against eight other Premier League clubs this season. Well, it's been a long time coming, but after six defeats in six games, Frank Lampard has seen his Chelsea team win. They won 3-1 at Bournemouth with two late goals. And the word in the street is that it's Maurizio Pochettino who's going to take over from Lampard at the end of the season. But we'll have to wait and see. Now, Fulham, Norwich City and Watford will all play next season in the same division as this season. And that will be a new experience for each of them, since Fulham have been either promoted or relegated in each of the last five seasons, Norwich in each of the last four, and Watford have gone up and down in the last three. (laughs) So it's been up and down for those three clubs, but this time they're staying put where they are for next season. Thanks very much, Stuart. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, and from Ida Waringa, and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.